Hi, welcome to the Sage's Cabin podcast. I'm your host, Rox Madeira. So grab a cup of tea and come and join me in the Sage's Cabin as we chat about everything from herbal gardening, herbal medicine, movement practices, wild food, postnatal and just general well-being. today's podcast I'm chatting with Amanda Edmondson who, from Botanica Fabula who's going to talk to me about her amazing and wonderful herbal storytelling and also what she's going to be doing at the Scottish Wild Food Festival in September. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, uh, I'd like to start with a little story. I've just finished fermenting a load of meadow sweet that I've collected over the summer. It's got a really uh, heady floral meadow aroma and you can almost smell the salicylates in there. The meadow is a really ancient one and it starts with one of Scotland, Ireland, and actually his work ranged across Northern Europe. So, but he's really thought of as an Irish and Scottish hero, the warrior Cuculain. It starts long, long time ago, before the Romans invaded. It was born in Ireland, and in those days, only a woman could teach a man to fight. So when he was old enough, his father sent him to learn from Skya, the famous warrior on the Isle of Skye. She was skilled with the sword and the arrow and the spear. She was stronger than any woman on these lands. She talked cool and well, but while he was there, he fell in love with her sister, Aoife, and the pair had a child. Having a wife and a child, however, did not stop Cucullin's adventures. He travelled far and fought many battles, but one, one was particularly significant because, well, just before he had, was fighting, he'd, he'd been rather uh, taken with a certain Morrigan, the legendary phantom queen. She wanted to keep Cuculain for herself, make him her own personal warrior, and she was not going to be thwarted in her task. While Cuculain was fighting, the Morrigan, whose powers lay in transformation, first turned herself into a wolf. She started to to snap at his heels. She started to weave her way round a herd of cattle and make them charge towards Cuculain as he fought his enemy. But taking a, a pebble, he put it in his slingshot, fired it and blinded the wolf in one eye. She wasn't done. Next, she transformed herself into an eel and wove round his feet as he tried to ford the stream. He grasped the slimy eel's body and crushed it with his hands, breaking a rib. She writhed and returned to the water, freeing herself 
and one last time she transformed, this time into a heifer. And at the very head of the stampeding cattle, she aimed herself at Cuculin, ready to take him down. But his slingshot was still to hand, so he put a pebble in it and fired it once more. This time, it bruised the cow's fetlock, breaking the Morrigan's leg. She turned into ether and vanished off, and Cuculin ended his battle. As he was injured and weary from the from the bloodlust that had consumed him, his, his fever still high from the wounds he'd sustained, his, his temper still making his head throb with heat, he walked down the stream, absolutely exhausted. There he found an old woman milking a cow and a little bit of familiarity entered his brain. He thought he recognised her, but as she held him out a cup of fresh milk, he was so grateful he sat down and he thanked her. From the bottom of his heart, he genuinely thanked her for helping him. And as he thanked her and blessed her for giving him the milk, one of her wounds, the eye that was blinded, the sight returned and was healed. She handed him another cup of milk and again he thanked her genuinely and blessed her. And as he did so, her rib was mended. Finally, one last cup of milk and her leg was healed. She looked at Cocoon. She could see the fever still course through his body and reaching into her bag, she found Meadowsweet. She gave it to him and told him if ever he was cut and the wound wouldn't heal, bathing would soothe the wound, it would cool his temper, it would relieve his pounding head. And from that day on, he, he kept it on his belt. And the Gallic name for Meadowsweet is Cuculin, is Cuculin's herb, kept on his uh, belt the rest of his days and it's said to have alleviated his fevers and helped bathe his wounds and as any of you that know about herbs will know meadowsweet <clears throat> that source of salicylic acid that became aspirin does in fact also have antibacterial properties and can heal your wound if you bathe in it and it's wonderful for relieving a headache and um generally lowering your temperature little story to start you off with <laughs> That was great, thank you. <laughs> so hi Amanda. <laughs> hi Rob. Nice to hear that story. <laughs> so um do you want to tell us I really enjoyed that story, it was really nice to hear it. And is that well let's let's talk first of all about who you are and all about you and how you actually got into telling stories. Um well I I um my I'm it's a, it's a long story and I've told it a few times, but um, my mum's been a storyteller for about 30 years. And when I had my older daughter um, as a single parent, pretty much from the offset, um, I, had, I was at uh, college studying herbal medicine. Now, I was working as well to, to pay my way through herbal college and um, 
it just was it was all too much so i i left i didn't quite finish my degree um and i i left to bring up my daughter on my own i didn't have a way of earning an income um but i started to do voluntary work uh telling stories and i'm talking about plants in the parent and toddler group that i went to in glasgow's tramways um my mum encouraged me hugely and said, you know, you've always been a storyteller. You've always told stories. Um, and um, it seemed natural to start bringing together facts about plants and the stories that surrounded them. In fact, the more I looked at traditional stories, folk tales and legends, the more I saw that the way plants are represented within those stories usually has an underlying um, element of truth. And so, like with the Kukulan story uh, from the Dincentures that I've just shared, the, um, the, you know, there are obvious correlations with how the plant is traditionally used in herbal medicine. And that happens with plants all over the world. It became a really um, wonderful way of bringing together people that maybe didn't immediately have anything in common but regardless of uh, race, culture, background, people knew stuff about plants and they knew about stories. And once you told a story, everyone wants to sit and listen. And once you talk about plants, people at some level have some familiarity with those plants and with traditional uses. And so um, I love doing it so much. Um, I was lucky enough that uh, this is 10 years ago now that, that Tramway, the, the Hidden Gardens found some funding, um, commissioned me to do a series of sessions with the parent and child group. Uh, and then I I, um, I managed to do a bit of a, um, a piece with Chelsea Physic Garden. I created workshops for them for a, for a weekend event they had um, that concurred with Notting Hill Festival, Notting Hill Carnival, uh, looking at spices. Um, and then it kind of just went from there. It, it just seemed to really, really appeal to people. And it felt like I'd finally come home. I'd always wanted to find something that just made me my heart sing, for want of a better way of putting it, that really felt like it was me. I'd always wondered what I was going to be when I grew up. I was nearly there with herbal medicine. But <laughs> as anyone that's been to one of my sessions or meets me will know, um, the the potential for me to stick very precisely with one thing and to do exactly what something tells me to do is a bit shaky i tend to like to carve my own way through things mm -hmm. and so basically i you know i i uh, knitted knitted my own yogurt <laughs> i created my own job and and i think that gave me the what i the creativity and what i needed to, to be able to um, develop something that was entirely my own. It's so that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and I've been working now, as I say, for 10, 11 years. Um, I've been lucky enough to, to share stories in, in schools and universities in China with the National Storytelling Network in America, um, all across Britain. Um, Royal College physicians and surgeons commissioned me to create workshops for them. Um, you know, work with some really, really exciting groups and venues. And it's just really lovely. Every single time it's new and it's really lovely every time to see how plants and stories bring people together. Mm -hmm. I suppose it's like we've 
like you said, we've traditionally always kind of told stories and it's probably a really, it's, it is a good way to learn, isn't it? Because you kind of engage with it in a different way. It's not just dry learning. It's, you know, you hear the story and then it kind of brings it to life. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you've got to remember that really mass literacy is, is a relatively mm. new creature. It's, um, you know, ma the kind of luxury of education, free education we have in this country is still, you know, not, not an international um, phenomenon, mm -hmm. but certainly even in, in Britain, a couple of hundred years ago, not, not everyone could read and write and, you know, now we have access to the internet as well, but there were, you know, you couldn't Google research papers. Stories become a natural method of, of transporting knowledge and information that, that travels really easily. You can tell someone a story, they will remember the key facts, they will then remember the plants that are in the story, and if then people travel, telling stories as a, as a natural way of introducing yourself to a new group. Mm -hmm. And so knowledge and stories um, have always bound us as a, as a form of building relationships with each other but also with the plants and the, the places that we are and and transporting medical information in pre-literate times it's still much easier to remember a story for a lot of people than it is to remember the lengthy details of a, of a medical research paper yeah <laughs> um you know seven-year-olds will cheerfully remember that Gakulin was a warrior who fought off a giant eel and then bathed in meadow sweet and will with relish tell people that this is the plant that a great warrior bathed in, but probably won't, you know, remember the details of a paper by the university, somebody from the University <laughs> of Massachusetts doing a doctorate. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they don't it's, need to know. They just need to be able to recognize the plant and yeah. know that it's know the main point. Friend. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and um, where do you so are the stories a lot of them like historical and folklore and stuff? But do you also weave in other information into them, or is that, are they just kind of you telling them how they were written? I guess? Um, a, a mixture of both, and I would say that um, there are situations and settings that are more appropriate to just tell a story, although. At, Part of the process of being a professional storyteller, for me, what a really important feature of that is that you are not reading from a book. So you're not learning lines. You are not knowing, uh, you are not 100% uh, sticking to a script. You are, uh, so the story will always adapt for the audience for the age group and yeah. what they're interested in, all those sort of things. So that shifts constantly. And I think without that organic growth, I think stories tend to um, die. Stories, oral storytelling is not meant to be set in stone. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, it's really important that um, some groups, <laughs> interestingly, the more you work with, with herbalists or plant people, maybe not just herbalists, but you know, botanists, gardeners, anyone, they will often spot the symbolism and how that translates into a modern use. Um, whereas some groups need it spelling out for them a little bit more, um, certainly if I'm working with schools groups um, and we're doing curriculum based stuff, then yeah, then I will always um, add in history, I'll always add in facts, 
students, I will. The, 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 the sort of the eternal student in me, if you like, has a, has a, a sort of background hum that makes me want to reference stuff. Um, so I actually do like to reference. So I'm talking oh, yeah, about is. stories and yes, I like to put facts into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and reference them, but a lot of the a lot of the work I create is bespoke and is tailored specifically to venues or particular groups or a place. And at which point, quite often, layers of history, uh, archive material, maybe in the venue, the plants that are growing in that particular place, all come into it. And so I, I take a variety of elements and layer them sometimes into traditional stories, sometimes I do something called story mending, which is there's little bits of a story left, there's elements of folklore, and I recreate the story surrounding it. Um, But yeah, I do a variety of things. There are are facts in their history in there, when it's appropriate, when it's fun. Um, I suppose that's how people would have always done it as well, though, isn't it? They would have had like bits of stories and then they'd have added their own, you know, zest into it and their own information that they wanted to pass on to people yeah absolutely or you know or it would all become a bit samey yeah you need <laughs> you know otherwise you know you'd have seen one story color and you'd have you might as well have seen all of them they've yeah. all got to be different <laughs> everyone's got their own style and what they do uh, i just think that for me because the plants are such an important valuable part of what i do that i really like to be quite specific and accurate and even if I don't mention it at the time I can um, back up um, with traditional use and modern research historical facts um, to add to the story Mm -hmm. Um, just because that's really important to me Um, I think it, it also really helps people trust what they're hearing and um they develop a better relationship with sort of plants and the and their natural environment yeah I guess because I think as well I suppose in some ways it's a story so you just you think oh it's a story maybe you're not connecting that that same that same way that it's real what you're telling them but if you've got if people know that you've got the facts and you're actually telling them proper things you can they can kind of yeah like you say connect with it more and enjoy it but also really believe it and retain it (laughs) and also it makes it um a more diverse area for me to work in because Mm. it applies to a lot of different people in a lot of different situations as i said we may have lost it when the internet dropped out doing you know i can go and be a guest lecturer in the university talking to um sort of you know people looking at folklore um but actually quite a wide audience wide audience you need you need the facts. You need mm-hmm. to be more than somebody telling us a fairy story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that has its own application as well. And, and, and you know, there are brilliant storytellers that 100% fictional story or traditional stories. That's not my thing. I like, I like to have um, a, a bit of evidence-based science, a little bit of traditional use, some local history and really tie it into everything the connections are really important to me mm-hmm. and so where do the stories actually come from how do, how do you find them 
Uh, well, I, <laughs> yeah, I'm at the moment I'm doing a project with my mum who um, called Handing On, and my mum is um, semi nearly well. She's kind of mostly retired. She's doing this um, with me, and she says it's the last thing she's doing. Um, whether she does or not, she's not she's not working financially, but I'm still picking her brains for stories, um, and. We've had a number of people. My mum's mentored a few people over the years, and I have a few people sort of asking me or, or talking about potential for mentoring in the future. And I end up saying to them, "I can't tell you where you get stories from because it's a really lengthy process." So, you know, if you if you've got a week, um, <laughs> you can show up for the next seven weeks. I'll tell you. But no, genuinely, you need to find them for yourself. And I get them all from all over the place. Some I get from talking to people. So I do intergenerational workshops and I gather stories from the community. So some are social history, some are social history from archives. Um, I use, a, I, I love a, a resource called Tovar and Dalkas, which is the uh, School of Scottish Studies online archive, but there are similar archives around the world that have collections of um, oral history, social history, uh, stories being told. And they're fantastic, but a lot of them, are, I read a lot of books. Um, so basically stories come from all over the place, books, archives, talking to people all over the world and just, you know, long research. And you have to read hundreds and hundreds of stories before you find the odd one that just really resonates. Um, because you can't just tell any story, it's not that simple. There's got to be ones that you really, you spot them. You spot them as your stories that you know fit, that, that you, you're going to enjoy telling. Um, and because I tell stories from all over the world to all sorts of different groups of people, um, mm -hmm. they come from a, a pretty wide ranging, um, you know, wide variety of, of sources. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, how about let, do you want to tell us about your workshop that you're doing at the Scottish Wild Food Festival? Yeah, um, quickly. I, I'm doing a couple of things. I'm doing one um, workshop from the Very Curious Herbal Project, which I've been developing for about two and a half years now, um, which is inspired by the uh, first woman to publish a herbal back in 1737, Elizabeth Blackwell, who is from my own hometown of Aberdeen. And uh, she created, she, she illustrated, wrote and published a herbal to support herself and her child when her husband was put in a debtor's jail. But I'll tell you a bit more about that in the workshop. She draws 500 plants and Recording in she progress. Draws, she draws 500 plants and writes about them. And um, I have used them as a starting point, really, to explore a really fascinating period of history because it's the Enlightenment period. And so the witch trials are just coming to an end. So um, widespread knowledge and information is being lost in one way. But um, Basically, herbal remedies are still the, you know, the apothecary stock in trade. It's also a period of um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, it, you know, people bringing plants into the country and the great plant collectors. So she worked very closely with Sir Hans Sloan, who, you know, he was working as a doctor on plantations in the Americas. 
but to give him his due, he also collected um, traditional remedies and spoke to people from a variety of cultures, not just the plantation owners, um, and brought in a lot of information about plants then. It's a fascinating period of time. So I'm looking at, she, um, she has everything from dandelions to, to um, tamarind. She's got you know, cocoa, tomatoes, cucumber, and nettles, and and ivy and seaweed in there, all sorts of things. Mm. So I'm going to tailor that, and you're going to get a, a selection from the very curious herbal of stories, remedies, and historical footnotes, if you like, um, about some of the wild plants that we can see and find um, in rural Stirlingshire at this time of year. Um, the other project that I'm tapping into stories from is the Kissed in Time, which again I've been developing over a few years now, which incorporates those stories from archives from the School of Scottish Studies and the sort of conversations I was mentioning earlier with older people in the community to, to piece together recent history of plant use and the stories and anecdotes and folklore that goes with them. Um, there's, there'll be a few fun remedies to make for, for I say for children, but do you know something? <laughs> Grown-ups get really upset if they don't get to make, make my gross 16th century cough syrup recipe. So, you know, I'm not ruling out that the that, that grown-ups won't get to do that too. Um, <laughs> I did that one. I did one of those in the Ashmolean down in Oxford and, and a lady said to me afterwards, why did the children get to do that? I wanted to, I needed to make a tatty bogle and make the, make the revolting cough syrup. And I went, oh, okay. Um, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, next time come to the children's session. So yeah, we will we'll make some of the potions that uh, are in the stories. We'll probably be making some um, ointment for helping, well, I'm going to say it's more of a lotion, a mixture, a concoction to help you see fairies um, and probably a revolting cough syrup. I like one of those. And um, yeah, and some really good local, really quite old, traditional foraged recipes and the stories that go with them. So that's what we're doing in a couple of different contexts. One will be a slightly more grown-up look at the work of this inspirational Scottish woman of the 18th century and the wild plants that she knew about. And one will be more recent social history um, and a little bit sillier That's for grown-ups and children. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it sounds good for grown-ups as well. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. It's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. I'm sorry about all the internet stuff in but before you go can you tell us um your how people can connect with you and your you know lovely yeah i mean i'm 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 a mum and uh freelance self-employed and so that means inevitably a lot of time spent on my own working and in my head and outside in in the countryside so it's always nice to have social media and be able to chat to people there i'm at herbal storyteller on Twitter, I guest host spoke for Thursday um, for a short slot on Thursday. So you can always um, catch me doing my plant folklore sort of stuff on Twitter. On Instagram, I'm looking, I'm Amanda.Edmiston, all lowercase. Um, but if you look me up as Botanica, fabula, herbal storytelling, you'll find me. 
um, and Facebook, I'm Amanda Edmiston, Herbal Storytelling, Botanica Fabula. Facebook's fabulous for that. <laughs> but if you look me up, Amanda Edmiston, Herbal Storytelling, Botanica Fabula, you will find me across all social media, blethering on and doing one of my several projects, the Kissed in Time and the Very Curious Herbal. Both have Facebook groups, very welcome to join. There is a podcast attached to the Curious Herbal. Um, the Kissed in Time has ongoing inter online interactions um, and uh, my new project Handing On is, is mainly on Instagram but will be launched at a showcase event on at the end of October at the Scottish International Storytelling Festival with workshops at the National Library of Scotland. So there you go. Too much information. <laughs> that's, that's a real flavour of what I do. You're like, how much has that woman just said? Oh my God. Don't bring notebooks. You won't you won't be able to write it down. Just experience and let it all wash over you and yeah. some of it will stick. <laughs> that's great. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the festival. And you too. And you. like really really looking forward to seeing a lot of old faces there and it's lovely to meet you as well Rox. As you heard Amanda will be at the festival doing a number of workshops paid and free she's doing two on Saturday and two on Sunday with an adult and a child one on Saturday, an adult and a child one on, on Sunday as well. We're really looking forward to having her there. If you haven't booked your workshop spaces yet and you've already got a ticket for the festival, don't forget to book online. And if you already, if you haven't got your festival tickets, unfortunately we're sold out, unfortunately for us, but unfortunately for you, we're sold out um, at the moment. But you can put yourself down on the waiting list. As we know, COVID times, everything keeps changing. So hopefully see the festival and we're currently organising our dates for the festival next year. So watch the space.